All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 395 points, or 1.1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 26 points, or six-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 108 points, or seven-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 14.7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 18.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 14.2%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, I would say we're feeling a little bit of the summer doldrums, as we've talked on past MoneyWise programs for the month of August, typically month of August, Uh, is not that exciting as far as from a volume standpoint or have very light volume. And just looking back at the technical volume numbers this past week, I mean, we saw some days where we had 40% less volume than the ongoing volume average. And so when you have light volume days, depending upon who's actually coming into work and doing the trading for that day, we can see some of the market swings that we've seen this past week on some of the big down days. We had extremely light volume. So I just wanted to kind of kick the show off to give the education to the investors that might be wringing their hands a little bit, particularly with some of the news that came out um, with the Federal Reserve and the Fed minutes, but also that when you're in the summer month, particularly August, volumes can't tend to be much lighter where we can see more volatility. Exactly. So the, the low volume has created higher volatility days. I think that we had a couple of days in the week just past where we had over 100 point uh, gains and losses. And it's, it's given the fact that we've got this low volume, it, it, I can't really uh, say that it's something that uh, is overly concerning for, you know, that, that's going to necessarily motivate uh me to want to be lighter in stocks just because of the action of the market. But, you know, I'm going to go out 
on a limb and express my feelings this week since I didn't get to express them on last week's show. Is it is this going to be the feelings corner, Jeff? <laughs> Are we moving into the feelings corner? He's in a maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe feelings isn't the right right word. Maybe it'd be more like uh, my outlook for the short, medium term. How's that sound? We so, are all ears, okay. Jeff. So Remember, we don't we don't deal in feelings in the market. We deal with facts. That's right. Emotions. That's right. Okay. That's right. Your emotions. You're exactly put them on right. the shelf, Jeff, and go with. That's with, exactly your, right. I, physical I, data and your four guidance tells you. I stand totally corrected that because ah. I was speaking with a prospect this week and I told them, you know, one of the things that we do at Davidson Capital Management that I think is very important is we remove emotion from the decision-making process. Absolutely right. And emotion has caused many an investor in the past, in the present, and certainly in the future, unless they've been listening to our show, to make some bad decisions. I spoke with a prospect this week that sold out prior to the election last year and has been out of the market since the election. And it's all about emotion. So let me get, let me set my motion and feeling aside and let me just talk about you know, the, the outlook that I'm seeing. And I've expressed this to both Joe and Kyle earlier this week. And it's just to preview the things that you and it's just, it's an, this show is about letting you inside what happens between three money managers bouncing ideas off of each other. And if dad was here with us today, and I'm hoping he'll be on next week when Kyle is on vacation and, and Joe and I need a little color. Make sure you bring your popcorn. You're going to be getting. I'm, I'm hope. I'm hoping he makes it. We'll we'll see if it works out in this. Yeah, we're 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 unleashing the loose cannon. Heaven help us. So so <laughs> he he would be probably his feelings and emotions and outlook would maybe be a little more bearish than mine. But you know, I'd put out this this idea that maybe we should consider for a period of time yet to be determined on a on a regular basis reduce our asset allocation to stocks by about five percent over you know whether it's monthly whether it's every other month because for a lot of different reasons and we're at approximately 60 63 somewhere about that right now invested in stocks which is still in our moderate allocation in our moderate asset allocation portfolio which is still seven percent below where we were uh, in February, the mid-February of 2020, we were at 70% in a moderate asset allocation portfolio, which is where the vast majority of our clients are allocated in stocks. And the reason I was saying that we maybe should be thinking about, it's almost like if I could say it, because dad told me, he said, if you, I hear you say this word on this week's show, I'm going to come over and I'm going to hit you with a ball peen hammer. <laughs> and the word, and the word is taper. So uh oh! Don't answer the front door because dad so. dad's one of your neighbors, so he, he's going to come over with a ball peen. Don't it? Tell your wife not to answer the front door or you yourself. So there was there's a part of me that is considering having our own little taper. Whether the taper how how aggressive the taper becomes is data dependent. I hope you like how I put that in there. Spoken like a true <laughs> Jerome pal. That's right. But uh, there's some things that are that are concerning me, 
And it starts with the fact that we're going to get a real taper from the Federal Reserve sooner rather than later. And I know we're coming up on the, 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 the break, but when I come back, I want to go over a few other reasons why I think we are, we are considering in our portfolios doing what we will call a little bit of stock tapering. Well, can I also then give my counterpoint? You can give your this, counterpoint. This, this is this, part of our entire this portfolio. Is, this is part of the discussion. Management and discussion. Davidson okay. Fight Club. Stay tuned. Uh, uh, so let's do our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. You can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, Jeff was wanting, you know, as, as we do on the Money Wise program, the, the show is our platform to pull the curtain back on Wall Street, the ins and outs, but also pulling the curtain back on money managers, since we are all three actual money managers making real decisions in our clients' portfolios with real money. We don't outsource it. We don't give it to somebody else to be making those decisions. We make those decisions in-house. And so we like to have these conversations on the show to pull the curtain back from an educational standpoint, but also what we're talking about on a weekly basis in our portfolio strategy meetings. And this is, I know, Jeff, you and I had about an hour and a half long conversation earlier this week about this topic that you started talking about in the last segment about your current feelings and concerns about the market. and Not feelings. we can't talk uh, about feelings. Okay, not uh, just analysis. Just, okay, your analysis. Sorry, I should say feelings. Substitute Pardon analysis me. for feelings, and we're good. Go your analysis <laughs> and your you. take on on the market currently, and what you coined before we went to the commercial break, the potential in-house Davidson Capital Management taper stock taper. our stock taper within our moderate. Uh, portfolios and our, well, our allocation models really it's across, it's across the board, all the allocation models but but focusing you know when we talk about our portfolios from an allocation standpoint if it's 65 35 60 40 we're primarily focused on our moderate asset allocation which is where 90 percent of our clients roughly are allocated here at davidson capital management since we primarily focus on managing serious assets as we call it the retirement nest eggs and pre-retirement nest eggs so getting back to what you were saying about the potential for the potential stock taper at Davidson Capital Management. So I'm a little bit concerned that 2021 is going to repeat 2018 and what happened in the fourth quarter of 2018, which was primarily a Fed-speak-driven 20% correction. And the Fed-speak at that time was about raising interest rates. Um the Jackson Hole Symposium, Economic Symposium, is happening next week. There are, there's going to be a lot of Fed speak. There's going to be a lot of attention paid to it. I know, I know, Dad is going to say we got to stop talking about the Fed, and yeah, I get it, all that. But that's all they're talking about right now. That's that's the catalyst for 
the market response near yeah. near term and midterm asset allocation decisions is is going to be predicated based on the timing of the taper because with valuations and stocks where they are relative to history changes in interest rates or interest rate expectations higher affects that relationship between the relative value of fixed income securities versus stock securities, i.e., if there's a perception of interest rates going up, that has a tendency to lower the price-to-earnings ratio of, of uh, expectations for stocks, and therefore, because of the people are willing to pay a higher P.E. for a given share of stock if interest rates are a certain level and they're willing to pay less for stocks if interest rates are at a higher level. So what I'm saying is, is that that, if we really start to hear the taper talk, there's going to be an exodus out of bonds and there's going to be an exodus out of stocks at the same time. The key is what's the velocity of that exodus? You know, is it going to be like 2018 where you get this quick, 20% 20% down draft. And I think we were looking at the statistics before we went on, on the, sh- on the show uh, this, this afternoon. And it happened fairly quickly. Started around October the 10th. Right. It started in October. And October is historically a difficult month for stocks. I remember October of 1987, I was a senior in college taking some of my first investment courses and bam, you know, we get, we get hit with the 20% plus down day in the Dow in one day. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but what were interest rates, <laughs> you know, in 1987? <laughs> they were double digits. Uh, they, were, yeah, they, were, they were high. They were high single digits, low double digits in government securities, much less corporate bonds. There were real, but where was inflation? I don't remember where inflation, where inflation is. It was, I, I think it inflation was definitely was, higher. It was pro- it, well, 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 we've we got to think about for inflation for a moment as it now stands. We're in the 5% range. If I'm when that last CPI yeah, number had a, but, had a but, five, so but, but, I, but we could we could parse all that economic. Yeah. I know data I know we could we, we know I, there's certain things and we talked about on last week in show. Used car prices are coming down, fruits and vegetable prices are coming down, lumber's been coming down for months. Yes. So there are some parts of the economy from a price standpoint where prices have been coming back in. So it is leading to some of that transitory, getting back to transitory, which I know dad doesn't want us to talk about, but this is all relative and it's important for all investors to understand this, the relationship between the Federal Reserve monetary policy and the stock market's reaction to that. And so it's important for us to talk about that regardless of what dad's feelings are. But, you know, he could come on the show next week and, and, and give his dissertation of why he doesn't like us talking about it. Well, he will he will talk about the next thing that I'm going to I'm going to talk about. And that's what's happened from a political point of view in the week just past. Uh, what's happened in Afghanistan it can't be construed in any way, in my opinion, other than negative for what's going on in Washington. I would and, agree with that. And, and the, how in the, the strength of our leadership and how how are our enemies uh, taking note of what hap- what's gone on in Afghanistan in the last week? And how, how are those enemies going to potentially react in a negative way to 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 our country that might have effects economically? You know, 
we could speculate till the cows come home on that. That could be a whole different segment. That could, I mean, that's a whole from, different. That's a whole different. You can go segment. from cyber to export import. But I think it's I think it's more along the lines of confidence, because confidence is a big driver of corporation spending, corporation hiring, corporations uh, doing what they do, expanding all of that. If their if their confidence is somehow shaken by by a perception of a lack of leadership in Washington, that can have economic effects, right? Yes. So we've got the interest rate issue. We've got what's happy you know, the the political the the geopolitical risk as as we've as as we've coined it. I think geopolitical risk has ratcheted up, most definitely in the things that have happened here in the last week third thing is the comparisons from an earnings point of view are going to get much more difficult. Now we may have one more quarter of reprieve from the difficult comparisons, meaning we can get into October and they'll be comparing the third quarter earnings that were, that are, that are accumulating right now to the third quarter of 2020. That may be it. What, but, but Jeff, the, don't you the think market, there's the market? But the markets are going. Go ahead, Kyle. What I was going to say, but 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 isn't the market? I mean, especially if we get into fourth quarter earnings, there's going to be some expectation that the fact that the comparisons year over year are not going to be as strong, and, and and that's going to be priced into the market somewhat because we do know after this last earnings season that a lot of the forward guidance was dialed back. They the bar was lowered by a lot of these corporations so it's easier for them to step over it as opposed to having to high hurdle it and we know that these some of these stocks that did lower forward guidance some of them were, were punished quite a bit but from a fundamental standpoint that doesn't mean that, that very, there's very strong that doesn't mean still that there can't be off. that doesn't mean that there's still more companies to come out and lower guidance even further this is true, but again, you have to make a determination for our listeners. Are you an investor or are you a long-term investor or are you a trader? Are you a renter? <laughs> this is information that's more critical for a renter or a trader as opposed to looking at the long-term fundamentals of a company. Yes, they're going to be putting earner, earnings out every single quarter, but are their internal matrix from a fundamental standpoint continuing to hold up and continuing to hold up of why you own them in the portfolio for the longer term? But but even if you have fundamental, solid fundamentals, it doesn't mean you still can't have a correction. No, so no, that's, that's true. Have, no, 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 that's, that's true. No, I, no, and it I doesn't. Agree. And it no. doesn't mean that if you have substantial gains after a historic run in the markets, ladies and gentlemen, you guys cannot disagree that we have had a historic run off the low set in March of 2020, right? But the if S&P, you take, if you take the there's no way, hold on, there's hold no on, hold on. There's, I understand what you're going to say, Kyle. You're going to say, well, take you know, you're, 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 you're comparing it to these pandemic-induced lows, and it's not yes. really something you can draw realistic comparisons to. Well, irregardless, the S&P dub- has doubled from the low to the high on the S&P. Is that not correct from March? Yes, but that includes yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, but, but that, okay. I don't so want to run out of time. Pan- you take we're running out of time, and, and I'm going to put my gloves down for okay. a moment and okay. ring the bell, and we'll come right. back fighting on the next segment. <laughs> I was just going to say, take it's out my the COVID- job to ring the bell, guys. <laughs> take, right. out, okay. 
take out the COVID pullback. We're up 30% from March of last year. All right, let's take our break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So the bell's ringing and the gloves are coming back on for listeners that are just tuning in from the bottom. It's of the round outbreak. two. It's round Jeff, two. Jeff is discussing, you know, what's, again. Hey, kind of, Joe, what's the scorecard show so far? <laughs> uh, well, Kyle technically hadn't had a chance to even counter. Okay. Uh, it would be 10 oh, to 9, you, I think. Is that how you judge boxing? So, that, that, so that, 20, that, 20, that 20 bucks will be in your top drawer after the show. What's the punch count <laughs> on Kyle? <laughs> I did get the last punch in before commercial break yeah, because okay. you were talking about, yes, if you go to the. If you go well, to let's the summarize. Board, let's Kyle, summarize. Jeff, let me, let me Kyle, summarize. Okay. Jeff is jabbing Kyle will throw a haymaker. That's okay. So, so, so right before we went to break, you were talking that, yes, the S&P 500 has basically a 100% run up from the COVID pandemic lockdown lows in March of last year. Yes. My point I was making right before break is if you take out that ab, the, the, you know, hundred year event of a pandemic, global pandemic and a lockdown from that pandemic, you take out that dip, the S&P 500 is up 30% from March of last year. Still a good run, still a solid run, but is far from this 100% run that is concerning you, Jeff, saying that, you know, how much longer and further can stocks run okay. higher? But well, let's let's stretch it out. Finish. No, I'm not going to let you finish because now You're I, get, not let I, get, finish. I, get, I get to send the big, you another the big punch brother. back. Okay, the big, the right. big brother's well, coming back. Well, let's extrapolate it out. How much were we up in 2019? 2019, we're up double digits. Okay, how much are we up in 2020? We're up double digits. And how much are we up so far year to date in 2021? We're, we're up 8%. double digits. Now, we're do up, I need to remind up. you of the late 90s? I, I understand. I, and how did the late 90s end? Well, the late 90s ended with this froth and massive euphoria for anyone that put .com at the end of okay, a Okay, but there is some euphoria. There is. Okay, but wait a second. But we don't have uh, that situation going but, on. We don't have that. No, when I talked about this on on a show, I don't know. It wasn't it, in the last five in the last month, six weeks. I, I I talked about earnings ratios being near where they were at the height of the dot com era. In some not measures, when you adjust them for inflation. No, but we're not. We're not no, 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 no. Forget the adjusted for inflation. No, I'm talking about price to earnings. I'm not talking. Forget about. You're going to you know, call me K man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, forget, you know, it's price to earnings. It's not price to earnings adjusted for inflation. Come on now. Come Ask on, Robert man. Schiller. Ask come, Robert Schiller. Come, come on, man. man. Ask Robert Schiller. He's, he has won a Nobel Prize for economics. So. Yeah, but okay. Has Robert Schiller ever run a dollar of money in his life? No. That, okay, he hasn't. So, so, you know, you know, it's all fine and good that he's won an award, and I'm not meaning to throw him under the bus, but we see a lot of talking heads. Have any have a lot of them actually run money for a living? The answer is no, they haven't. No. no. Right? What have we done? We this is our sixth president. Thirty two years. This is our money. sixth this is our sixth president. 
dot com era, worst pandemic, worst pandemic in a, in a hundred years, worst financial crisis since the Great Depression, uh, three year bear market at the beginning of this century, one of the greatest bull market runs uh, in, in late nineties since the since the Roaring Twenties. How many ter- terrorist attacks? How many wars? We've managed through all of that pandemic, but, no, but none of us. No, you know, but we last year was a completely. We had to write a playbook for last year. Yeah, there is no we're playbook. Still, we're there, still writing. We're the playbook. still writing it. I would, I would, I would grant you that also. Yeah, we're like we're in the middle of a football game and we're actually coming up with audibles and we're, plays. As, we're as, we're writing well we in in some respects, yes, but the, there is plenty of history about a Fed taper, and you only have to go back to 2018. And I know Kyle, you're. And I don't mean to speak for you, but sometimes I do speak for you. And I know Only what as you, a big brother I, could. I, I know what you're going to say about. Yes, but well, our listeners don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. Because we had this conversation this past week. You're going to say, <clears throat> well, the market is priced in the taper. Part, and you're going to say, and you're going to say, you'll, in, you'll yeah. say something. Let's get some T-shirts that say, don't fear the taper. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're, you're, don't, the, you're, don't you're an homage to the blue blue oyster cult on yeah, that one. Big don't picture of Powell on the back. Well, I, I go back. <laughs> I like okay, let's shirt. let's go, let's go back to the the first time this taper really became an issue. It was way back in 2011 when Ben Bernanke, out of right field, shocked the market and said, "This is we're starting the taper." No, 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 they, no, no, no. He didn't. There, no. Come no, on. It, no, it, it came it came as a surprise, and the uh, market responded very violently. Now, when you're talking about the fourth quarter of 2018. Yes, the talk went hawkish about the interest rate and monetary policy decisions when it came to interest rates. I don't think any of us are going to say that the Federal Reserve is going to be doing anything with interest rates anytime soon. You're primarily talking about the taper. And for our listeners that don't know what the taper is, let me just explain from an educational standpoint. The Federal Reserve is buying bonds, both government-backed and mortgage-backed, at the tune of $120 billion a month. And when we talk about tapering is the slowing of that bond buying. Now, the, the buying is helping put liquidity in the market. It's helping compress interest rates, and it creates the TINA effect where there is no alternative. So it's keeping interest rates lower for longer. And so, Jeff, your biggest concern is when the taper is finally announced, the market is going to react it's going to react. It's going whether it's, it's going to react negative, whether it's, it's violent. Not, it's not, going not, to react. It's, it's not it's going, going to react, react in a positive way. I don't see how it reacts in a positive way. It's okay. it has to react in a negative way. Okay, so so let's talk it's just about the, the what's quarter. the what's the what's the vo- what's the negative amount? I think it's what's anywhere, the velocity? What's what is it? It's I think it's between five and twenty percent. That's a pretty wide. I know. Hey, number. I'm a hedge the bets guy, right? All of our 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 portfolios are hedged. That's why we run balanced portfolios. That's why we have bonds. That's why we have cash. That's why we have stocks. That's why we haven't been 100 percent invest. We weren't haven't been in our max asset allocations since February. All I'm saying is 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 that it would. To me, I think there is an opportunity to taper somewhat in the stock side of the portfolio and and see some more data. Yes, Joe. Well, okay. Keep in mind, we're at about a 60% allocation to stocks. 
Yes. Correct? Yes. The, the, our max allocation in a moderate portfolio is 70. That's right. Out of that 60%, 5%, if uh, some of our listeners and our clients know, is a bond proxy where we're buying dividend-paying stocks. With, but with they're still stocks. Over three. They are still stocks. Okay? They are relatively low beta stocks mm-hmm. that we're using as a proxy. But my point is we aren't where we were at the end of this pandemic where we were 70% stocks, 30% fixed income and cash. So I think as a firm, we're better prepared for the for any kind of correction um, because we're not c- completely allocated to stocks at the full allocation of seventy percent. So and, 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 then, and then and then my counterpoint, Jeff, to your concern is is I believe that part of the taper has already been priced in. The, no. Federal Reserve, the, the Federal Reserve has been extremely no. vocal about the tapering and talking about it. We know this past week from the Fed meetings that several of the Fed governors are now talking more loudly that they're more in favor of the taper, possibly in September, October. But my personal beliefs are that this Delta variant is throwing a curveball into the data where other Fed governors, particularly the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is going to want to see more data and how this Delta variant is possibly going to affect the economy. And he's going to feel more comfortable along with the Federal Reserve will feel more comfortable when more data is known before they actually set the date of when they're going to start the taper. And I know from the Fed minutes this past week, they were saying that, yeah, we could be starting to see the taper in October of November of this year, where I know myself, and I think, Joe, not to speak for you, but I believe you and I have had this conversation this past week where you feel like I do, that it's most likely going to be sometime in the first quarter of next year because more data needs to be found out because of all the information we've talked about from an employment standpoint. Because we have people that have come off the unemployment benefits, particularly here in the state of Texas, but they're not going back to work. Why? Okay, so here's some statistics for you, Jeff. Over this this entire pandemic, we have right now personal income, the highest it's been in 40 years, meaning people are flush with cash. They've paid down debt. Their debt obligations are less. They've saved a ton of money. And they're being very picky and choosy about going out and working, whether or not they're receiving this unemployment benefit. They've seen it in Texas from a statistical standpoint. And we have other states in this country that are still paying this extra benefit. Now you've got this extra money coming from the government for the child tax credit. So this is giving workers the ability to continue to lay back and not go into the workforce. So we're, I think we're going to see some of the peak employment numbers we've already seen, and they're going to be getting smaller and smaller. So that's not, I don't believe, going to motivate the Fed to take away some of this stimulus punch bowl until more data is known, which is going to take much longer than I feel than September or October before they start the taper. But even when they do start the taper, this has nothing to do with their interest rate policy. Their interest rate policy is going to continue to be zero to 25 basis points well into late 2022, possibly into 2023. Of course, it can change at any time based on the data, but we still have a long road to go to get past this Delta variant that is spreading all across this country. And so the Jerome Powell has shown time and time again that he errs on the side of extreme caution before doing something because he learned from the fourth quarter of 2018 that words absolutely have consequences when it comes to the market. Well, he can't. Okay. We got to take a commercial break. So you come back with your point, Jeff. 
I had to get my shot in. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, it's the Davidson Brothers Fight Night. I it's not a fight. fight. It's, no, a it's not a fight. But but this is but I think it's important just to let all the listeners know these are the conversations that we're having sometimes on almost a daily basis every single week at Davidson Capital Management, where we have points and counterpoints of our Ford guidance and all the different ingredients that go into the market that help us make the determinations from an allocation standpoint, from an investment standpoint, when to buy, when to sell. This is what real money managers do. This isn't what a salesperson at the legacy distribution system or every major brokerage firm across this country is doing on a daily basis. They're more interested in harvesting assets and turning it over to somebody else to manage while charging you a huge management fee or commission to do such. You know, that's not what we do at Davidson Capital Management. You're dealing exactly with the money managers. You're actually having a personal relationship with the decision makers in your portfolio with your assets. And so it's important to have these types of conversations because these are the conversations we're always having. And so Jeff and I and Joe, we've been going back and forth about the Ford guidance for the market. And Jeff's Jeff's forward-looking guidance is a little bit more pessimistic, a little bit more bearish than maybe Joe and I's. Although when I say we're bullish, I'm very comfortable with where our allocation currently is around 61, 62% allocated to stocks in a moderate allocation, the rest in fixed income and cash. I feel comfortable currently in our current environment and with my forward guidance, from my opinion, uh, of where we are from an allocation standpoint, particularly because we've been also barbelling our portfolio all year, where we have our growth positions, we have our value dividend paying positions. Joe made the point that we do have stock positions in our portfolio that we look at as a pseudo fixed income position because they're a higher dividend paying stock and a less beta or less risk stock. So we have lowered our risk profile on the stock side of our portfolio because of the barbell strategy we started to adopt the first week of this year. Okay. And so, so, Jeff, I know you, you're coming I, in with a roundhouse. I, I agree that we have we made a, we've made a concerted effort over the last eighteen plus months to not we're not at maximum mass allocation of stocks. The composition of the portfolio is is lower in beta, meaning lower in risk, for the reasons that you just described. And you would expect if my scenario plays out over, say, the next quarter two quarters that those stocks in the higher dividend side of the barbell would decline less than the stocks at the other end of the barbell that are typically higher growth names typically you know some of them are in the technology space uh, and that i would plus our bond position would insulate our portfolio against what could be i said between a five and a twenty percent type 
correction. Is it the beginning of you know all bear markets begin with a correction, but not but all but corrections start a, you know are the beginning of a bear market. Yeah, but we're not we're not gonna you know we're not. I'm not saying that we're getting ready to start a multi-year bear market, uh, especially when the economy one of the is things, not, not, one of not the things, on all eight cylinders because of the COVID one of the thing, one of the things that I also you, you're talking about debt and you were talking about debt in terms of the consumer. I, I went and just checked the statistics when it came to uh, debt as it relates to margin debt in investing, and some of these numbers they are. We, we peaked in July, and yeah, I have. A, I, I know I have a chart has been coming down. I already read that article I, too. I had. A, I have a chart that goes back to the late 1970s, and and margin debt still is uh, is still very high. It's but still it's been high, down. but it's, it's been come down, down a little bit. But I'm just I'm just saying that if we have a reaction in the marketplace that doesn't exactly coincide with your prediction and more coincides with my prediction that there's going to be there's going to be margin calls and that's going to be get more setting more selling and you could get a follow-on effect for a period of time that could drive down stocks rather quickly so just putting that out there my, you know, my, don't don't yes joe go ahead well i agree with with, with, with margin calls but my prediction, if we do have a pullback, I think 5 to 10%. That's the sweet spot where I think we'll have a correction. But to Kyle's if, point – If if all, and when. If and to when. Kyle's point, there's, a, there's still cash on the sidelines. There's still portfolio managers that aren't fully invested. I also and, got a director from dad to hit anybody upside the head if they say cash on the sidelines again. Okay. Well, well, you're getting, getting, we're in our well, San Antonio office. Right. You can't hit me from there, big boy. But anyways, <laughs> unless you got a really long arm. Uh, but what I'm getting at is I would look at that as a buying opportunity. Um, but what I'm getting it, at it, is, it, 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 if you it, ask me, I think a five to 10% correction is it, probably going to be in the cards between now and the end of the year. But I think if you're properly allocated and you're ready, we have a 10% cash position in our portfolio too. 10% right? plus. I mean, 10% plus. So there, there could be a buying opportunity for some good names, some quality names that are going to be at a discount. At lower and prices. Maybe, go ahead. And, well, and, and here's something else. Sorry, Joe. Uh, here's something else. We have been consistently scraping profits. That's exactly out of our what I was going to point out. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. We have been scraping profits all year. You know, we'll let things run for a month or two, scan for profits, scrape the profit. Do it another month or two, scrape profits. So we have built cash positions from 10 to as high as 16%, depending upon your allocation model in our portfolio. So we do have dry powder. So if there is this five to 10 or five to 20, you know, percent correction that, that Jeff potentially might see, we do have cash that we can take advantage of it. But the other thing is, is that the way that we have designed our portfolios, every single one of our portfolios at Davidson Capital Management, because I had this conversation with a client this week in a meeting here in my office, we have our portfolios designed with escape hatches. And those escape hatches allow us to raise significant amounts of cash out of the stock side of our portfolio very quickly. And when I say quickly, I'm talking within a minute or less to be able to raise that kind of money. So God forbid there is a massive geopolitical event 
we always have a portfolio manager at the ready, at the wheel during market hours to make decisions when decisions need to be made in a portfolio. And if you find yourself as an investor working with someone that doesn't have these processes in place and can move as quickly as we can at Davidson Capital Management, and it's not overseeing your portfolio with the foresight and with the experience we have, then you need to pick up the phone and give us a call at 800 275 2162. And with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So for listeners of Money Wise on 1200 WOAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. You catch the second hour on our podcast or go to our website at davidsoncap.com. For listeners of Money Wise and Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors' behavior. And so doing some research and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago, uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return. Um, and, and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own. And, and from time to time, when I meet with prospective clients and current clients, we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios. So in my research, I actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for, for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, a 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, 
you know, historic and historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje- objectives and achieve re- and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's yep. a that's a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the, the conserv- really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, run, runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And and you know and again we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because again this twenty four hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind uh, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, 
you know, with 70 plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, a, a pretty um, Good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. 
so let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is, especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401k, contributing as as much as you can. If you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k, that obviously that's going to give you the, the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement. Contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again, and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time, and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contributing, if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account. Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. How I'm they not sure. This. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of 
psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index annuities? Oh, brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean, they use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside. Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity-indexed annuity, say, over at least a five-year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S&P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S&P, it's even, it's even less than a third, Jeff. Yeah. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle-of-the-road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, is like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20%. Or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors 
unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment if analogies are used to represent stability. And analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations. Again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm -hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those, those, those aspects of the investment are not discussed but the focus is all on the yield. That's right. And, and not, and not you know, can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that. I'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and and again going into uh, psychological factors that dalbar who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. 
So, so even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor, since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio. Now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three or four stocks. Five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector. That's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, Another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, herding. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a contra- you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who defer, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. 
And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the – you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency – it's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news – Without reasonable examination, going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So, again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then, finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it, it's going to be close to that. To, I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. but Because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. Which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average, in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion... 
and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your emotion, your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was fifty dollars but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to fifty i'll sell and that is hope hope Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior. And as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing. And I promise you, we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed too income. Much, too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century we will continue to have that balanced allocation remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area and also you have to remember investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming you know failure to diversify a portfolio you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic driven events. So again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and again to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation an initial asset allocation model, and an ongoing asset allocation model. And an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it 
and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales-oriented than it is active management-oriented, meaning the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when the, the money is deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20% annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today... When we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the fifteen percent plus the the double digit type return expectations like we saw in the late nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, "Oh, I want a ten percent return, but I don't want, but I only want twenty percent of my money in stocks." That's what we're seeing now. There, there, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the 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 return. Uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic. Fixed income and equity cash holdings, maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model, one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking we've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes with our own client base it's somewhere it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded which doesn't sound like a lot but get out of cash that's a difference between a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, 
again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And th- stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It via, is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend to your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.